Participate, engage, speak out, use your voice to be an effective advocate. The Voices in Advocacy podcast examines the diverse landscape of advocacy, exploring the ins and outs of building influence, driving change, and creating champion advocates. It's now time for the Voices in Advocacy podcast with your host, Roger Rickard. Hello and welcome to the Voices in Advocacy podcast. I'm Roger Rickard, president and founder of Voices in Advocacy, where we work with organizations to inspire, educate, engage, and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. And this is the podcast dedicated to the art of advocacy. This podcast is for the people that work and engage in advocacy efforts for their organizations, be they corporations, associations, trade organizations, and nonprofit cause groups. If you're one of the people that work to build grassroots advocacy and grow your community of advocates, well then you are in the right place. Now, let's get started. In today's episode, we meet Austin Boyle. Austin is manager grassroots engagement at the National Apartment Association, where he advocates on behalf of the rental housing industry. He has led numerous grassroots advocacy uh, campaigns that have led to an increased, now listen to this, have led to an increased participation of up to 3,100%. Let me repeat that, 3,100%. The man must know what he's talking about. Austin, thank you and welcome to today's show. I appreciate you having me, Roger. Excited to be here. Oh, great. Well, it's I am too. I, I, I you know, this is my passion. I love advocacy. I love talking about. It. So as we get started, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of advocacy? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is, uh, you know, citizen advocates getting involved. Um, you know, my passion is obviously grassroots advocacy, um, you know, the ability of, you know, the ordinary person within any industry or uh, within any company to really make an impact is uh, immense. Uh, you know, you can really make a lot of change. Um, so when I think of advocacy, just in general, that's, that's what I think of. I think of an ordinary person who may not work in politics, but they're able to, you know, get up and make a real difference by uh, informing their legislators about issues that matter to them. By stepping forward, using their voice, by being engaged, correct? Correct. Absolutely. Wonderful. So coming up in your professional career, you worked for a few other different organizations. How has that developed your understanding of how to effectively build a community of advocates for the National Apartment Association? Yeah. So, I mean, over my my years of experience here, I've, I've gotten to truly you know, as a consultant and as an in-house practitioner, I've kind of gotten to see the full gamut of a grassroots program, um, effective ones, ones that were not so effective. Um, you know, it's really given me the knowledge that I need in order to properly cultivate advocates. Um, Cause that's really the big thing now is, you know, developing that culture of advocacy, um, you know, and not just on lobby day, but all the time, um, you know, advocacy is not just a one day activity. It's, it's something that needs to take part, you know, 365 days a year. Um, and that's how you really make change. So how do you find those additional uh, advocates and whether are, are you looking for experienced advocates 
or are you looking for anybody that has the story to step forward and speak your language? The latter, absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it can be anybody, you know, obviously um, every organization is going to have their more seasoned advocates, you know, folks that have been in the trenches, know what it takes, um, are well-versed on policy issues, um, you know, but we need more people. Everybody, everybody needs more advocates. Um, you know, numbers are great, obviously, if you have a lot already, but um, cultivating the people that just truly want to be involved. Um, that's, you know, who I love working with is an individual who may not know a lot or may not have a ton of experience actually trying to make change in the policy arena, but is willing to throw all in, um, put a lot of effort into it and try to learn on the fly. So how does the casual member of, of your organization uh, get inspired? What do, you, what do you do to get them inspired to be an advocate? Well, A, like I said, I, I think it, it really starts with the culture. I, I think that you need to you know, not only show them that their peers are taking part, um, but just make them understand of the real impact that it can have. Because there's a lot of uh, misconceptions out there that grassroots advocacy specifically is about checking a box. Um, and what I love about the NAA is, you know, that's not what we do. That's not what we plan to do. You know, it, it truly is an advocacy program where, you know, we work with the folks on the ground to really impact policy at the state level, the local level, and the federal level. Um, go ahead. No, I mean, first of all, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think that that's, uh, uh, you know, if an organization says that one of their strategic pillars is advocacy, then, uh, you know, it's disturbing when it is nothing but a checkbox uh, right. that they, with that they have. Uh, so with that, then, what training do you provide for new advocates? Yeah, so I mean, we uh, so we have partnered with CMF. Uh, give them a little plug here, <laughs> um, but they uh, for those they're... that for those that don't know, that's the Congressional Management yes. Foundation. Yeah, so we so we work with them over there to provide a lot of content. Um, you know, so they do a lot of trainings with our folks. Um, you know, how to go about holding a virtual meeting with a member of Congress. Uh, you know, the best way to approach staff members uh, during those meetings, and uh, we cultivate a lot of our own content in house as well. So. Um, a lot of just informational one-pagers, uh, making sure that they can kind of fully grasp, you know, more so of a 30,000-foot view of the issues, especially for newer folks that may not necessarily understand, you know, legislation as well as others. Um, you know, but we want to make sure that they are, you know, fully loaded with all the information that they need. Um, that way, if they do ever want to take that step into advocacy, whether it be at the local level or the federal level, uh, they know what they're talking about, and they can always come to us with, uh, you know, understanding which tactics they should utilize. Sure. So is political influence important, or is advocacy as influence more important? You know, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, I, I think advocacy influence is more important. Um, you know, I, I just, I truly believe that, you know, when it comes to those individuals that, you know, pick up every day and, you know, they're working their full-time jobs and then they're also engaging in industry advocacy outside of that, um, I, I think that that is really what makes change. Um, you know, political influence is, is obviously hugely important, um, you know, just being able to make sure that, you know, you're supporting the right candidates through a PAC or what have you, but um, the people on the ground that meet with their legislators that take the time out of their day to share their stories um, especially during something like COVID, you know, it really shines a lot of light on what a particular industry can be going through. So do you think that, that elected officials really want to hear from 
boots on the ground, if you will, people, people within their district? I think they want to hear from those people more so than they do lobbyists. Um, I, I think that's that's my my biggest passion point right there is that uh, you know members of Congress you know care about their constituents more so than anything. Um, obviously, those are the people they represent, but also those people are the ones that vote for them. So um, you know, a higher lobbyist will not be able to cast a vote for a particular representative, but uh, you bet that if five or six you know advocates that know their policy go and approach a member of Congress and discuss it with them, they're going to listen. Um, and, yeah. and that lobbyist isn't in the district and is, isn't there uh, while there's uh, maybe a dinner going on, right. uh, somebody stopping somebody else in the grocery store, uh, all those things that happen within the community that when something goes wrong, how quickly it can spread. And when What's something spreads? goes right, right, what goodwill can happen with that? Exactly. Uh, what do you think? better influence looks like? Meaning what? What do you mean, Roger? Well, better better advocacy influence. I mean, you, you touched upon the fact that you believe that uh, elected officials want to hear from their constituents. Right. Uh, you believe that they uh, want to engage with them. So is there a better way to engage with them than you think some of the tactics have been used in the past? Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, I think we're in a new age of advocacy where, you know, like I said earlier, it's not about checking a box anymore. Um, there's a lot of ways that you can now engage with a member of Congress besides just meeting with them. Uh, social media, obviously, emails, phone calls have been tried and true for years. Um, you know, but we've kind of started to adopt um, outside of the quote unquote norm for advocacy tactics where, you know, LTE training, letter to the editor training, where people can start writing about you know, their, their stories, getting them to local periodicals and, and newspapers and making sure that people understand what it is the industry is going through. Um, especially in our industry, there's been a lot of, you know, misconceptions. Um, a lot of people, you know, see the apartment association as representing only big corporations, um, you know, and, and we wanted to make sure that, you know, everyone understands we represent big corporates all the way down to small landlords. Um, and they, they have stories, especially now, um, you know, everyone's going through hardships. Yeah. So, very important to adopt outside methods as well. Okay, so speaking, uh, adapting to that, what are you dealing with? What are some of the priorities that the National Apartment Association has? Uh, let's take the first step in dealing with the 177th Congress and a new administration. Yeah, so I mean, um, our, our biggest priorities, the top three for us would have to be ending the federal eviction moratorium. Um, which was extended um, here through the end of March, um, as well as providing more rental assistance. Um, 25 billion was supplied in the last COVID package. Um, that's not enough. We were very appreciative of the 25 billion, but um, the amount of a rent in arrears right now is sky high. So um, anything to help unburden both sides, both property owners and renters, um, as well as section eight reform, um, making sure that we're, we're talking about the issue of housing affordability um, especially as you move into the future, because, um, you know, it, it's a big problem. Yeah. And, and particularly in the current economic uh, situation that we find, you know, millions of people that are out of jobs right now, that yeah. adds that adds to that. <clears throat> Do those priorities, I mean, I know some of them, because we're talking about federal uh, right. 
COVID relief packages with some of what you mentioned there. But are those priorities really different at the state level? And do you deal with the state level issues? Yeah, so we do deal, deal with the state level issues. Um, we are a federated structure. So we have affiliates in every state um, or mostly every state. And there's a lot of different you know, jurisdictions within each. Um, so we do deal with state issues and we help them with different policy issues when they need it um, and provide to them when they need it. Um, yeah, I mean, it is different on the state level just because different states have, you know, rolled out their moratoriums in different levels. You know, D.C. has a complete eviction moratorium, for example, um, while other states are a little bit more, you know, basically right as the CDC has written it as of now. Um, but they're also looking, you know, to change it now that Biden's in office. So um, it, it's always in, in flux. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a constant, you know, informational upkeep. So would it be uh, fair to say that you have more hurdles in some states than you do in others? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's safe to say. I mean, I, I think that the at the state level, states, you know, one at the top of my head, California obviously has very strict moratorium laws, uh, especially now with different rental assistance policies that they're putting out there. But um, all of the states are dealing with the same stuff in terms of the federal level, which um, any way you shake it is really hurting everybody. Um, so it can be slightly worse in different states, yes, but uh, all in all, this is, this is a national problem that we're facing. Yeah. So with that, needing to have grassroots advocates uh, throughout the state levels as well as at the federal level, how do you solicit and I've been on the website and I've looked at this, so I, I know you do, but how do you solicit the input from your membership regarding these priorities? Yeah, I mean, a big thing of ours, first off, is making sure that people are, are seeing our messaging, right? And, and that's through either action alerts, um, you know, and, and, you know, website material, different content that we post on the website from our policy team, you know, from us, the advocacy team, um, making sure that they truly understand what's at stake, um, you know, because a lot of folks have obviously been dealing with the repercussions of the moratorium, uh, lack of rental assistance, but, uh, it, you know, there's a possibility that, you know, if we don't do anything about it now, it could get worse or extended further. Um, you know, the Biden administration did say something about September 30th being their aim for the eviction moratorium. So that's something we're working on uh, to obviously try to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, but also, you know, we have plenty of resources on that website. Um, our key contact survey uh, is, is a big one. Um, you know, we like to make sure that whoever has a relationship with an existing legislator who's in office now, we want to know about it. <laughs> um, you know, because like I said, uh, legislators listen to folks they know, um, especially if it's a constituent. So if someone does have a relationship, we, we make sure that we promote that one, you know, very well on the website. Well, yeah, it's, it's who knows who, who knows who. Absolutely. You know, uh, and so do you think that uh, there's a big difference between, let's say, relationship development with elected officials than it is with dealing with staff? Um, I honestly think, yeah, I mean, so congressional staff are the ones who do a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, and I think that's a big misconception for you know, a lot of advocates, especially those that are just getting involved, um, you know, especially on a lobby day or something I've had it in the past where someone's been like, well, I'm only meeting with the legislative director, not the member of Congress. I'm like, well, the, the legislative director, you know, dictates 
the policy for that office <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, you know, so the staff is, you know, they're just as important as meeting with the member. The member makes the votes, um, but that's th those staff members, they ultimately, you know, run that office. So, um, you know, that relationship cultivation, I think, is just as important, if not a little bit more important. Um, those those 25 year olds that run the country. Correct. Yes. But people, they're incredibly smart. True. They're yes. incredibly smart and you never, ever want to diss them. Uh, yes. Because you uh, you will find yourself on the outside looking in and wondering how did, how did that happen? Your so I know, you, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, I know you have uh, the, the NAA, the National Apartment Association, has an advocacy day. I think it's coming up in, in, in March. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so um, our advocate conference is going to be on March 8th. Um, so it's a day full of, uh, obviously, virtual sessions. Um, we had to move it to virtual for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have uh, our keynote speaker is Chris Wallace. Um, so they'll be coming to take Q&A from our folks. Um, you know, we have informational sessions on policy, um, on grassroots, uh, how to get more involved, how to advocate properly. And, uh, you know, everything under the sun you can think of in terms of advocacy is going to be discussed. So so I have, I have seen with a number of my clients that they've actually had an increase in participation because yep. of it being virtual. Right. And I know that there are, you know, inherent challenges of trying to do uh, a hill day uh, or fly in uh, when you're operating under the pandemic and the current rules and restrictions that are uh, on Capitol right. Hill. Uh, are you seeing that uptick as well? So we just opened registration maybe a week and a half or two weeks ago, uh, roughly. Um, but yeah, I mean, right now as it stands, yeah, I mean, um, you know, registration is uh, pretty on point where it has been for in-person meetings. Um, you know, the way I looked at it was, you know, because no one really had a, um, a previous marker to look at in terms exactly. of attendance, you know, so this was all just kind of a shot in the dark for everybody. But, um, you know, we saw it as it could potentially be something that people are able to blow off a little bit more easy um, just because it's virtual and if there's something else pops up, you know, uh, but at the same time, it's, it's ease of access, you know, um, you don't have to fly to DC. Uh, you don't have to worry about hotels. It's, it's something that's right here. And um, a big thing was also if people were nervous to go sit in an office with a legislator, uh, that's a big thing, you know, so virtual meetings makes it a little bit more palatable for those folks, um, you know, to make sure that their voices are heard. Now, do you schedule those meetings for those groups? Uh, or, or do you kind of create team leaders that schedule those, or do you have an outside scheduler? So our affiliates, um, you know, make sure the scheduled uh, meetings are put up and everything like that. Uh, we provide them the process to make sure right. that all the meetings are kept track of. Um, appropriate feedback is given because that's obviously the most important part. Um, you know, but we make sure that we, you know we work with the affiliates to make sure they have everything they need to schedule the meetings. Um, but yeah, it, it's a Seemingly smooth process. Uh, at the end of the year, when you're evaluated, are you evaluated on how much grass you grow? In other words, how big do you grow the community of advocates? Or is it a matrix of, of a number of things? Yeah, it's, it's a mix of, of multiple things. Um, you know, when I came on here at the NAA, it's... Uh, you know, they made it known that they were looking to move the policy needle. That was, um, and that was the number one thing that attracted me 
you know, to the position was that that's what they wanted. Um, you know, obviously number of actions taken, number of folks participating is obviously huge. Um, but at the same time, if we're making a true impact on different policy issues to support, you know, the federal lobbying efforts, um, you know, that's, that's just as important, if not more so. So um, it's, a, it's a mix of things. Wonderful. Well, good. Okay. So did you always want to be involved in advocacy or was there a, another path? Because I know that you had, uh, had worked for some campaigns. I know that you had worked uh, in some uh, elected officials' offices in different places. Right. Uh, so what, what drove you to where you're at today? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was not always advocacy for me. Um, you know, it was, it was the wide world of politics was what had intrigued me at first. Um, and I, I think I needed to kind of weed out different options um, to kind of see what made sense for me, what didn't. Um, so I started out in campaigns. Uh, you know, campaigns were great, but it definitely burns you out. <laughs> After so what, while, age, what age did you start? So I started, I worked on my first campaign at 17 years old. Um, so I was, I, I knew that I wanted to work in politics for quite a long time, but, uh, yeah, but campaigns burned me out. Um, and, and, you know, advocacy always just kind of seemed like something because to me campaigns, they ended after a while. Right. I mean, and that's kind of how I looked at it was all right. After November, now where you know, I got to go find another candidate and start all over again. But with advocacy, it was different policy areas that it was an ongoing fight. You know, and, and that was what intrigued me was this wasn't something that ended after November. It was something that we constantly had to adapt and evolve um, and make sure that, you know, we had the answers to implement proper solution. So um, I, I love asking the question of, uh, of, about when you got involved and why. I, I had a neighbor that was very active that was older than me, but, you know, I'm a big guy. I'm six foot eight. And so when I was young, I was big. And at 13, I started working on, on political campaigns. Wow. And, and that's, you. <laughs> that's uh, a lot of shoe leather express back in the day, working yep. and walking door to door and, yep. and talking to people and, and getting a real handle on what was, what was going on. Well, <laughs> Austin, this, this has been wonderful. Any final thoughts you'd like to share? Anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, this is obviously the advocacy podcast. I mean, this is kind of the, the spot to talk about advocacy. And I think that, you know, anybody listening that, you know, is, is thinking of ways to get their members engaged, um, you know, within advocacy, it's really just about finding those, those, you know, pinpoint issues that can really motivate folks. And I think that during this time, obviously, COVID has been horrible um, across the board. But um, in terms of advocacy, this is a time where people are dealing with real world issues. Um, and they need solutions. Um, and th this is a time where, you know, we can find folks to really champion these issues because it's, it's a necessity for every industry, um, not just departments, not just rental housing, but um, any and all industries. So I think that um, if done in, in the proper way, you know, anybody can really cultivate a, a culture of advocacy within the organization. I, I love that. If done the proper way, anybody can cultivate and at, uh, an atmosphere of, uh, of advocacy. That, that's fabulous. Austin, how can people reach you for more information, particularly if they're listening to this podcast and they're in your industry and how can they participate? Yeah, so uh, my email is aoboyle at naahq.org. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, if, if anybody has any questions advocacy related or if they're within the rental housing community, um, you know, feel free to reach out to me with any questions. I'm always happy to help answer them. And we'll add those into the show notes. So if anybody uh, didn't quite catch everything, it'll, it'll be in the show notes that you can pick up. Well, that's a wrap up today's great conversation with Austin Boyle, the National Apartment Association. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Roger. I appreciate you having me. And now it's time for the advocacy engagement tip. Today's tip is one of five reasons your supporters do not participate in your grassroots advocacy efforts. And we kind of touched upon that uh, a little bit earlier. This one of the five is fear. People fear that they will not know as much as uh, about the issues as the elected official or their staff will know. But you, you the advocate are the expert. You know more about that field than they do. Uh, but they do fear. People fear that they will not know how to answer questions and that they could be embarrassed. They fear that elected officials and their staff don't want them to meet with them and hear their concerns. You heard Austin earlier say, that's not the case. They wanna, they wanna know from their constituents. And we in the advocacy arena know that this is simply not true. Elected officials definitely want your input and your engagement. And in fact, it's really the polar opposite. They need it for their own survival uh, in, in, uh, in politics. So does your organization provide training and best and practice time for your supporters? Hey, just a couple of quick notes here at the end of the episode. I'd love to hear from, uh, from you and uh, contribute your thoughts because I'm sure you're probably wiser than I am. And uh, in any upcoming ep episodes, we will be treating you to great interviews from leaders in the world of politics, associations, nonprofit causes, I'm sure you will enjoy these interviews. If you like today's podcast, head over to where you find your podcast, be that Apple, Google, Spotify, or you can even go ask Alexa to play the Voices in Advocacy podcast. A big thank you today to Austin for being on the show. I greatly appreciate your time and your passion for helping others through advocacy. And we at Voices in Advocacy work with organizations to inspire, educate, engage, and activate your supporters by turning them into influential advocates. Well, that's it for this episode of Voices in Advocacy. Remember, you have the power to be effective and influential. Now go out and make it a better world. We hope you enjoyed today's Voices in Advocacy podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. To learn more about Voices in Advocacy, go to our website, voicesinadvocacy.com.